0: Offer ends on the go live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred GAMBLER.
1: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Today, looking back at the defense from that loss to the Steelers. Tough one, and always good to have Coach Evans on the show. At least he'll make me feel a little bit better about this loss. I hope.
4: <laughs> hey, I'm glad to be on here, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> this, this this kind of broke me. This this game kind of broke me.
1: Yeah, lots of certainly bad news continues to pile up for the Ravens on the injury front. Uh, I don't know about you. I'm I'm inconsolable watching football around other people. We've actually watched a game together, and when when you came to Baltimore the one time, but there's a lot of profanity involved, and uh, you know especially when I'm at home watching on the screen, I, I'm yelling at the screen constantly. I don't know how my wife puts up with it, but there's a limited number of people I can actually watch football with.
4: Mm-hmm. And I I do the live streams now while the game's going on, and I, I'm extremely uh, subtle doing that. Because there's a lot that I want to say. Like it, uh, a little excerpt came out yesterday when, when Marlon gave it a touchdown on the plate. Mm-hmm. He heard his with it pick on. I, mm-hmm. That That me came out for about 10 seconds. <laughs> but most of the time, I'm pretty subdued. But when I'm watching it by myself and not with eyes on me, it, it gets pretty intense.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there you go. All right, well, I think that's normal. We 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 love our football here. Uh, certainly a tough loss. It was a winnable road game. Uh, I'm having a lot of hard time, I have a very hard time coming up with positive thoughts on this game. Obviously, the offense, a lot of problems, though they did control the football for some portion of the game that, that looked pretty good. But the defense, I mean, you know, not enough things were right, and there wasn't enough that the Ravens could do well against this Pittsburgh offense, which is kind of scary considering it's a bad offensive line. It's an old Ben who really... Isn't a dangerous, accurate downfield thrower the way he used to be? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what do you, what do you where do you start with something like this?
4: I mean, the second half they had a good plan. They, they didn't allow our edge rushes to to be a factor, and they just they 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 did a good job of adjusting.
1: Did pretty much exactly. Sorry about talking over so you, were Pretty much the the same game plan that came in the second half in Baltimore in 2020 when they were 6 and 0 they came into town they got behind in the first half i think it might have been 17 to 7 at one point and then they came back by spreading the the field going with Ben out of shotgun uh empty and a lot of 01 personnel primarily with tight end and four wide receivers forced the ravens into four cornerbacks on the field for much of that second half and it was a lot of dink and dunk and when i look at the at the drives the steelers had the 3 Seventeen point drives. They're not littered with twenty five yard plays. I mean, for example, the game winning drive is eight sack zero five nine thirteen three five a penalty eight another penalty uh, minus two five and five. I mean, that's not that doesn't. They're not scary numbers. There wasn't a big play in the in the whole batch other than the, that conversion.
4: Yeah, I don't. I don't. They they their receivers did a good job. They, just, mm-hmm. they, they and they definitely have a good. Quick passing game, which we don't. But uh, right. let's—I'm gonna just stick to the defense. <laughs> there
1: you go. So anyway, lots of stuff we want to talk about on that. Let's briefly talk about the decision to go for two points here, because I, I want to get your opinion on this. Just—I I know the questions are gonna be streaming in tonight about it, so we'll just ad- address this up front. Uh, your opinion on it, first of all.
4: Um, I, I wish he hadn't done it. I was um, even when they were lining up for it, I thought he was just doing it. And once they called a timeout, I was like, okay, yeah, he's just using it doing that to get him to use the timeout. And then we came back out to do it again. I was like, no, Mm -hmm. I wasn't against it. But the actual play call, I liked. Mm -hmm. The decision to do it, I didn't like. But the actual call that Roman came up with, I do like it. It just wasn't executed. Yeah, It was open.
1: It just wasn't completed. Yeah, So I don't like the decision, but I do like the call. That's unusual because oftentimes you you like the decision, but you hate the call. I think that's the more likely pairing of opposites on that. You know, if you if uh, if you're gonna mm-hmm. if you're gonna say, it. but I thought it was a good play call too, and and I liked it anyway. I think Harbaugh's decision making was correct given the uh, situation going into overtime. The Ravens played a lot of defensive snaps in that fourth quarter. In fact, they got out snapped at one point, twenty five to eight, during the in when they are sandwiched around mm-hmm. the two. Uh, drive so they, they were getting out snapped pretty badly, and it's worse than that. The, the Ravens' key defensive players, most notably Brandon Williams and Clayes Campbell, played almost every single snap. I mean, I think uh, Williams might have missed five in that group, and mm-hmm. or it's approximately that number. Campbell played every single one, and so. I, I just didn't like the Ravens' chances going into overtime uh, against the Steelers there. And, and the risk of losing the flip, I thought, was going to be a pretty high chance of losing the game. And I really didn't like the mm-hmm. chance also of allowing them four-down football to come back if all the Ravens could have gotten was a was a field goal.
4: Right. Yeah, so, I mean, knowing what I know afterwards, I understand it. But at the moment, I, I didn't like the, the decision. But, like, with the corners that we got and with the way they had started to move the ball, it was – it was,
1: it was a good decision i just didn't like it at the moment all right all right Cool. But i didn't have all the information either <laughs> yeah no i know and i you know there's people still today who are who are banging it of among the national analysts saying hey the ravens have the better kicker in overtime and i just I, my my immediate reaction is first of all how much of an of a better kicker is, is he really going to be? Because Boswell's been good this year. Mm-hmm. He kicked a 53-yarder in this game. Uh, you know, He did miss an extra point, too. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure the advantage is that great. But even if I did think the kicking advantage is that great, it's the touchdown risk and the four-down football risk that right. I didn't want taken against the Steelers. So, anyway. They definitely oh. found, found something and kept it going. Talk about that. Yeah, no problem. Uh, let's let's move on to Marlon Humphrey because obviously that's the big news coming out of this game. A uh, loss is devastating for mm-hmm. what they have remaining in terms of cornerbacks. But maybe let's talk a little bit about how we expect the Ravens to line up the rest of the way. And maybe you take a take your uh, shot out of here, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna you know fill in as needed. But where would you where would you start? Who's your number one corner? Well, to me, I think it's obvious that it's Anthony Edwards mm-hmm. with uh, Jimmy as
4: your other outside corner. And Tavon being your, your slot guy, and Westry kind of being a, a backup to all that, and maybe Stevens rotating in there as like a as needed guy. But um, to take your number three guy and make him number one, and he's been playing decent. Yeah, he's been playing decent. But it's it's, it's it's Wink has to gonna have to help him out. We can't we can't be exposed in Blitz Zero a lot because Jimmy can't run with those speedy guys. Uh, Tavon can't handle the big guys, and Westry is big enough, but he just ain't experienced enough. And and Avery is, is the best out of the four. Mm-hmm. He can run with him. I mean, he and he ain't great, but he's 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 Avery will be a good third corner, mm-hmm. but he's not going to be a good number one corner. But he has to be that now. So that means Wink has to adjust to help him out.
1: Right. I I do think Averitt's likely to get paid this off season. So um, somebody's going to take him as a number two corner. You know somebody, somebody who's you know mm-hmm. probably reasonably well set at number one, or who has nothing, will will come and bring him in. And I I think one of the interesting things this season is that will do you think they'll continue to chase? That's something they did with Humphrey. Or do you think they'll kind of use set pieces now? Have Jimmy take that right cornerback role where his shoulders used on, on that side, and Everett really more used to that I think left corner role. Now Everett's been playing on the right some too, hasn't he? So he's he's played yeah. a little bit of both.
4: And and honestly, with that chase. I didn't like that matchup initially. I felt like um, Marlon should have been with Claypool and Jimmy should have been with um, Deontay because Jimmy—I mean, not Jimmy—I'm sorry, Avery should have been with Deontay because he's faster, he's more twitchier, and Marlon just don't do well with those those twitchy, fast guys. He is, mm-hmm. he gets real grabby, holdy, uh, physical, and it, he gets called for it all the time.
1: Right. I want to see Humphrey be able to use the boundary also when he's there. So I think he's much better on the outside. He's been a good slot corner according to grading services like PFF and whatnot, but I like him on the outside a lot better. I I I think it's possible, and from what I saw with Jimmy, I'm concerned about – you mentioned exactly his ability to stay with fast guys. The, the, the play that really spoke volumes to me was that ridiculous slant route where he's six or seven yards off the line of scrimmage on third and two. I mean, he's Jimmy Smith would be up in press coverage right in the guy's face in 2013, 2012. But, it, you know, obviously the years have passed. He's not the same guy anymore. And he's really concerned about getting beat over the top. Not that the Steelers wouldn't have tried that. They might have tried that on third and two. But, you know, when, when you got a lot riding on a change of possession there, you you want to get them off the field,
4: right? And even, and he even broke initial like soon as the ball was snapped and being looked, he broke. He just don't have the 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 get after it like he used to to break it up. He yeah. saw it and just wasn't fast enough to get there and and, and make an impact on it.
1: Right, it it, uh, it might have been might have been something that was just too big an ask. How, how about uh, Stevens going in and and being the backup slot corner? Would you expect him to be next man up there?
4: Behind Tavon, yeah, especially with uh, Tavon's injury situation, because I don't remember him. I don't know exactly how, how many snaps he played, but I don't remember yeah. seeing Tavon a lot this game.
1: No, he, he only
4: played but seven definitely snaps Stevens in that role because he was, if I'm not mistaken, he was a corner in college.
1: He played everywhere in college, yeah. He yeah. literally played everywhere, including so, on the yeah, drive. No, yeah.
4: no I don't see him there.
1: Tavon played only seven snaps in this game. The last snap was in the, on, the, on the third and eight play near the end of quarter three. So he didn't play any of that fourth quarter. And, they, boy, they could have really used him during that time. Uh, and, and that meant Humphrey really had to move and play a lot of slot corner uh, at the at the end of the ball game there, so yeah, I I think Stevens would. Be, it probably makes the most sense to me. Our Darius Washington would be ideal to have right now as a as a backup slot corner. But you know we are where we are. Uh, I, I you know as bad as this is, and it's really bad. The Ravens have four guys on their roster if Westry gets healthy that are fairly serviceable cornerbacks. I think I think they could do the job if we could say they're all st- they'll all stay healthy. But we have no guarantees of that. <laughs> so, exactly. you know, there's going to be likely of, likely at least somebody goes down. And if you look at past years, including, I think, 2012, when they won the Super Bowl, they had all kinds of problems at, at cornerback in terms of injuries. Obviously, they lost Lardarius Webb, their best corner early in the year. Uh, and they ended up with Kerry Williams, and they won the Super Bowl with him. You know, so... It's it's uh, it's not impossible. I, I'm I'm still marginally optimistic in terms of what they can get out of corner the rest of the way. All right, I wanted to try something different this time and go to the plays that lost the game and talk about them because on that on those last three scoring drives there were about six plays. I think there were some threads that kind of pulled these together, but they're in the article. So I, I asked people to go out and and, and get there. But the first one was the 40-yard pass to Claypool, which came on third and one. Uh, now, if you remember on this play, we had Ray-Ray uh, McLeod actually cleared out Stevens underneath, which I thought was a big part of the play. Um, but Averett lost Claypool on the cross. So he, he, he just his, the cut was too sharp, and Averett was too slow on the cut to keep up with him. Uh, and then it's unfortunate, but he, Averitt had to still track him down for the tackle because Jimmy Smith kind of lost his bearings there and didn't realize where the play was around it.
4: Yeah. I think that play is big too, because it was right. It was no huddle too. And they were still trying to communicate what coverage when the ball was snapped. That was part of it. That's what I remember from that. Cause they, they went no the huddle and, and Averitt and somebody else was still communicating right as the ball was snapped. And he just went straight into chase mode.
1: Huh? Okay. I missed that. That's, I've got to go back and take a look at that. That's really good stuff. So that's 1435 of the, uh, of the fourth quarter there. And then the very next play, uh, the Ravens, uh, by the way, there was a seven zero pass rush on that play. So you've only got four in the secondary of any coverage at all. So that clear out underneath by McLeod is a, is a significant player off the line there. Jimmy Smith's got someone off the, up the left boundary. And then you've got, uh, Averitt chasing Claypool across the field. And that obviously didn't, didn't work out too great. Um, (laughs) Ball-lock quick on the next play with a 6-0 pass rush. Again, these ball-lock quicks mean there probably would have been pressure uh, that would have developed within three seconds, but Ben was able to step into his throw before that pressure got home. Roethlisberger on this play kind of semi-rolled to the right, pump fake Clark off his feet. It's a real veteran QB move because that that pass is not going to get blocked at the line of scrimmage then. And then he threw that pass to Deontay Johnson, who's as wide open as you can be. Uh, looked like Averitt lost the coverage on kind of a, wasn't a designed rub, but they effectively got Averitt and Humphrey in the same area near that right boundary, and they crashed into each other, and that's what created that enormous separation. And I was definitely thinking that was a, a miscommunication. I didn't see them crash into
4: each other till maybe when I went back and tried to watch it again to see what happened after the game. I thought it was just, well, I thought whoever the corner was, I can't remember, was it Averitt? Averitt was the corner, right? Averitt was the corner, yeah. Uh, I thought that he had he played zone and Marlon or whoever the next guy was played man, Ooh. and so they kind of end up chasing the same dude. But it probably was just a, a and they did end up running to each other. So I don't really know. I just thought it was miscommunication because we always talking on the back end when the ball
1: snapped. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah, this it was an interesting point here because Averett at the end of the play seemed to look back at Humphrey in as. It, it, you know, maybe like what the heck was that kind of thing? Like he was expecting something different. Now, mm-hmm. if it was Humphrey, we'd have gotten a much clearer signal because Humphrey really emotes on field. He'll, he'll let he'll let the other guy know exactly what he should have done on the play. But Averett arms to his side. He was calm about it, but he looked directly at Humphrey. It's like he was right. expecting something different.
4: And, that, and that's what, like you said, that's what gives a lot of stuff away from my point of view. As far as watching it, when they look at each other, independent, whoever the, the most
1: demonstrative person is. Yep. It's probably the one that did it right. Yep. <laughs> yep. There's a good chance of that. Uh, well, let's move on a little bit. Q4. This is on the next drive towards the beginning of it. The the at 11 11, they have the 25-yard pass. It was only the second play of the drive, but it got the got the Steelers rolling on this one after a 1-yard gain on first down. Uh 25-yard pass to Johnson. It was 7 plus 18 on the right boundary. Averett missed the tackle at about 8 yards. Tough game cuz Averett's involved in the first three plays here in a big way.
4: mm mm-hmm. Mhm. He, for the most part, if you, you know, you put his whole body of work together, he played a decent game. It's just that one stretch where they kind of, they kind of went at him and got him.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely, uh, definitely not a good, good play there. And I don't even know who ran him. I think it might have been Queen who ran him down, down, far down the right side on eventually, mm-hmm. but uh but that was that. And then they had one more big play on this one, and you know it wasn't there weren't a bit. Like, I'm sorry, we're, we're jumping to the next drive now at Q four two fifty five on third and two. And by the way, this was one of the problems is the Ravens couldn't generate any third and long situations here. But on third and two, that a, a really nice play that looked like it was going to end the end the drive. Campbell beat Trey Turner for a pressure. Averett, you know, had a pass deflected on the ball. It was knocked up in the air. Queen. You know, kind of was able to surround that ball and and, and hold on to it, which was great. Um, but that was negated by a DPI Averitt. and I I still don't like that play. I, I don't like that call. I didn't like. I didn't think there was enough of a jersey grab. I thought he went after the football as soon as he gets his hands on it. I think he's exonerated for some of the contact. And by the way, all of that was within five yards of the line of scrimmage.
4: Yeah, I agree one hundred percent. I didn't think that was PI. I I definitely didn't think it because part of that that contact was generated by um, the receiver trying to push off. Yep. To sit down on that route. And Avery just played it, you know, I'm entitled to be here too. Yeah. Then he stuck, he punched, he stuck his hands between that and got it to, to go up. Queen made a good play on it. I definitely didn't think that was, was P.I. at all. Yep. And when it was initially called, uh, I was excited for, you know, an interception. And, um, once looking at the replay, I'm like, nah, they, they, they blowing it. They're yep. getting too involved in the game.
1: Yeah. That's, uh, over-officious jerks, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Go about a minute minute ahead in the game. You got this uh, third and five play uh, that shows up, and that's after the, the you know the Ravens have done this very smart uh, intentional offside, which we'll get to in a second. Mm-hmm. But uh, Pat Fryermuth rubbed Humphrey on the cross at the goal line, so basically he was able to uh, almost run into Humphrey. But uh, uh, then uh, who, who caught the ball? It was it was Deontay Johnson caught the ball crossing. Friar Moose path and there was just no hope that, that they could that Humphrey could keep up with that right. uh, that coverage responsibility
4: again a twitchy guy and Humphrey just he just don't do well with him the physical guys he can he can run with he can bang with but those smaller twitchy guys he just he got problems he had problems with them
1: yeah and then a two-point conversion uh, you got more contact and uh, and Johnson rubbing Jimmy Smith. Uh, Queen was not in a good position. He was really in no man's land on that play. You got to be, I know his his responsibility is probably to contain Roethlisberger's run, mm-hmm. but he's got to be maybe a little deeper or maybe even, you know, rush once Roethlisberger's in the pocket there to try and get your hands up and discombobulate the throw or whatever. But he, where he was, he wasn't helping at all.
4: Yeah, he was, he was in band if I do, damned if I don't territory. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I thought a few things that kept showing up on these. Obviously, they picked on Andy, Anthony Everett, and uh, Anthony Everett has had a fine season. Mm-hmm. He's had two bad games now—one in Indianapolis in Week Five, which is amazingly—it's different concerns each time. In week Five it was really top of the route uh, movement throwing him off, and him taking a wrong first step versus a lot of Colts receivers, and they actually moved their receivers closer to the inside of the field to take advantage of the full route tree against him. Uh, This week, it was a a variety of stuff, but it was mostly rub routes. And the Steelers Mm -hmm. need to get guys open quick to be able to let Ben release the ball quick. Well, One of the major ways they do that is to to run all these rub and pick routes that basically free up a guy quickly off a bunch formation near the line of scrimmage or two crossing receivers.
4: Mm -hmm. And for for whatever reason, there was not a lot of banjoing going on. There was not a lot of passing guys off. It was, Mm -hmm. I got you and I'm sticking with you in order to... To to try to stay on my guy, got to go over or under the rub guy right. instead of going through him. At least if you go through him, you make the ref- officials. Hey, you know, gotta they gotta think about was that a rub or not? Because you're giving it you giving it to them like that. It's um it's an issue. It's an right. issue.
1: How do you um can, can you if you're a. I, I guess it's, it'd be difficult to do this, but if you have a man coverage and you want to switch man coverage at the line of scrimmage, is this something players often agree on on the field based on the offensive set, that they'll come to the line of scrimmage and give each other some sort of motion that says, hey, I, I'm going to take the inside guy, you take the outside guy, however this breaks out of here, or I'm going to take the deep guy, you're going to take the shallow guy?
4: I think that depends on the connection between the two players, their, their mm-hmm. IQ and the coach, if the coach allow it. Because you know, if if you don't have guys that are great communicators, you will end up with two guys covering the same person, and your, your coach has to, the coach has to trust them to be good, good communicators also. So it's it's different situations with different people. Everybody can't do it, but it's a simple you know. Ban, if they call it banjo, and it means different things for different people, but it basically means if if one if they cross, you stick you stick the guy that's on your side. We're not switching. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's like a if, in basketball terms, it's a switch. On the right. pick and roll, you don't you don't stay with your man. You just switch off on a pick. So that's basically all it is.
1: That's a great analogy. That's that's uh, that's terrific. And I see a lot of communication. It seems like on rub routes. Oh, sorry, on bunch formations at the line of scrimmage between defenders. Often, it's got to be related to that. I think.
4: You definitely, but the the, yeah. the bunch routes uh, almost naturally create rub routes, especially <laughs> if you got somebody going in and out. They almost naturally do it, and I think that's where the rub routes even kind of generated from seeing different formations and different combinations out of bunch and being like, oh, we can just block this guy without blocking him. And that's mm-hmm. why I think that's the birth of a lot of road routes. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Uh, one of the big plays in the game that, that came up was the intentional offside by, by Chuck Clark. Now, this is the third time the Ravens have done this in three years. And Harbaugh still apparently wasn't, wasn't answering the question directly. At the podium today, which is kind of interesting, but it's not. It, it shouldn't surprise anybody anymore that the Ravens would be savvy about it. It still surprised me, kind of, at the time. I was like, "Oh, damn, they're, they're going to get the ball left with a minute and ten, or whatever. If they mm-hmm. get a first down, it's going to be over." And uh, I, I didn't, I didn't see the possibility of this, of, of it happening. And then it did. And then after the game, my real question was, why on earth, if you're Tomlin, would you accept that penalty?
4: What, man in a moment. Yeah. All I can think of was, was probably didn't think it was intentional and accepted mm-hmm. the penalty because when it first happened, I didn't think it was intentional either. I was kind of upset, and then once I thought about it, I was like, "Okay, now they got first and ten at like the nine, and we still got three timeouts. Yep. So either got to get a touchdown, or we could, we could potentially stop them for a field goal. Because right. if not, they could just get that first down and run the clock on down."
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and they were going to, you know, they were going to run it down pretty far anyway, even with the field goal and with exactly two minutes and the and the you know the officials time haven't come off. There was no time that ran off on the play itself, which was a nice n- another nice little benefit. So, uh, the interesting thing is, all three times it's been Clark offside. So your alarms should be going off anytime you see Chuck Clark offsides. That doesn't happen much. Your edge rushers, sure, they're offsides a fair amount. Chuck Clark being offsides, that's a rarity. <laughs> so right. you know, there, there might be something behind it. So uh, I thought it was brilliant anyway, and, and uh, I, I, I want to talk to some of my the people who have win probability models to talk to them about how much that improved the Ravens' chance to win the game. Because you know my, my feeling is, let's say that improved the Ravens' chance to win the game by by five percent. Mm-hmm. However much it improved the Ravens' chance to win the game, it reduced the Steelers' chance to win the game by that amount. So this should have probably declined the penalty. Mm-hmm. And you probably remember from watching football in the same era that I did, or some of the same era that I did. Anyway, I knew you're a younger man than me, but I that. It used to be fairly common to uh, decline a delay of game penalty on the punting team when they were around midfield. Like you didn't, you didn't want to give them an extra five yards of distance to allow them a better chance to get the punt inside the 20. I don't know if it really worked that well uh, back then, but it used to be a common practice was to decline these delay of game penalties when they're obvious, uh, obviously intentional. Yeah,
4: especially right from the 40 to the 40, definitely. Del- yeah. Delay that so they won't get a uh, that it lessens
1: their chance to get one of those coffin corner uh, punts. Yeah. The coffin corner punts, yeah. You have been <laughs> watching football in <well>. while. <laughs> All right, and we saw one of those, of course, this last game. Uh, let's yeah, let's let's move on talk packages a little bit because I want to get through this. Now, this is an interesting game because the Ravens had really only two packages they used primarily, and they were, they were limited in terms of what packages they could use. So, they ran 11 snaps of their base <laughs> defense. Uh, you know, three the base 3-4 defense, we don't have to de- define this every time, but three defensive linemen on the field, two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers, and your basic four in the secondary. So anytime that the, that the Steelers put on basically 12 personnel, I don't remember them using 21 in this game, but they used a fair amount of, of two tight end looks, um, then the Ravens would try and put on base, or they would do a, a fair amount when they did. Uh, they did very well with that. Only 2.8 yards per rush, 2.6 yards per pass. They defended both well. So what that is telling me is the Steelers were really doing themselves a favor. Sorry, doing the Ravens a favor to play big in this game. Mm-hmm. They,
4: when they played big, our defense was was playing at its best. They were they were trying to run and I guess control the clock and whatnot, and that wasn't going. Even with Najee, I think I can remember Najee having maybe one one carry where he like burst through and got like eight nine yards, mm-hmm. like where he got to head the steam going. For the most part, when they tried to run the ball out of like a tight with a tight end or a full back or two tights, we were we were on. Them. We were on. Them. And that's why they went, you know, basically, forget we this, we're going to spread it out. All
1: right. They did, they did a good job with that. And, and it's easy to see how Najee Harris would be the kind of back you'd, you'd love to run out of 11 personnel. Uh, He's Mm -hmm. a big physical back. Can do a lot of things on his own. He's also somewhat elusive. Uh, He, you know, they're comparing him to Le'Veon Bell already in terms of a guy who's a little bit patient and picks his hole. I mean, that's what you want in terms of you know forcing the other the the defense, the opposing defense, into the nickel by putting a third receiver on the field. You force them to get light. They only Mm -hmm. play with six heavies in the box. And I tell you what, we're spoiled as Ravens fans because for years. We had great edge setters, great inside linebackers, and guys who could really clog up the middle effectively. The Ravens are one of the only teams in football who've been able to consistently stop the run in the nickel defense. Yeah. Uh, but normally, you, you see that. When you're when you're a coach at the high school level, does it, does it really – I mean, guys play much heavier sets, I guess, normally than that, right?
4: They do, but the thing is, is that nose, if you got a nose that can control both A-gaps, you can do a lot of other things. And for a long time, the Ravens have had a nose guard that can control both A-gaps. Yeah. Then you got guys that setting the age and them linebackers can work the be gaps.
1: Yep. That's that's exactly right. They and they you know, a lot of times people have looked at the Ravens' noses, and be it Brandon Williams, but even guys before even a Lodi Nada and wondered why mm-hmm. the heck isn't this guy getting more sacks? Big well that's boos. part of the reason is he's got two gap responsibilities coming up.
4: Yeah. Which is and all, I don't know if a lot of people know it, but that'll allow Ray to run
1: free. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of people do know that. Remember how upset Ray was when they wanted to change to a three, four? And, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's it's one of these things where uh, Ray Lewis will have no comment on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, OK. Uh, so the other, oh, the other package, and this was the, it, with the, I, oh, I only want to make this note this for juxtaposition. They played 31 nickel snaps. So most of the game, the, the, uh, usually when the other team is playing this, when you, when the Ravens play the standard nickels, cause the other team puts 11 personnel on the field and there, they were, they were more effective running the ball. And they were more, were 4.4 yards per carry, which is not surprising because you spread it out. You make Najee more effective. I think getting six lights in the box is more important than getting one extra heavy of your own to block for you. And and then they also threw the ball very effectively, 14 passes for uh, 14 pass plays for 150 yards. So, uh, yeah, obviously, they were very effective uh, both ways there. So, uh That didn't work for the Ravens. I think we've covered some of that stuff. The only other thing I want to make the point on is the rush dime, which had been tremendously effective in the previous game. They had 16 plays of rush dime for 12 total yards. I mean, they were cutting the other team out on third down with a package Mm -hmm. of three outside linebackers and and six defensive backs. Um, but, But this game, they only played it five times. And part of the reason was Stevens was hurt at first, and then they had other difficulties at corner, including Tavon Young, which prevented them from getting six defensive backs on the field. So uh, difficult night for not getting one of your good packages on the field. The other part about it was in the second half, they didn't get the Steelers to third and long very often.
4: Right. They had a lot of third and twos, third and fours, third and ones. Yep. And that's why yep, they were exactly. able to play action and go deep or hit some quick.
1: Yep. That was, it was That was really nasty. In fact, on those last three drives – they had only one third and five or longer. It was a third and eight, and, they, and the Ravens did stop them and force the field goal on that. And they had four plays where they got third and one to four. Okay, so so those ones, they made them all. But they also had six plays where they got second and one or two. Six times. Was, I, mean, that's, I was about to ask you that. Yeah.
4: Uh, I was just about to ask you that because I remember um, a lot of second and ones, second and twos, that yep. they hurried up to the line of scrimmage, and, and you think run, and that's when they popped all passes.
1: Yeah, and you, you know, you know what reminded me of was that was the Ravens come back against the Colts. They they got to second. I mean, they never got to third down. Not even one time did they get to third down mm-hmm. in their whole comeback. Four straight scoring drives. They had 19 first downs and zero third downs. So it, it was it was very much like that. And you know, we got to overtime in that game. And as Baltimore fans, we thought we've won the game as soon as we won the coin flip because the Ravens can't yep. be stopped. They'll march down the field. That's that's kind of how I felt about the Steelers' chances in this game. If that had gone to overtime, which is one of the reasons why I, I, I was happy to see them try for it.
4: Yeah, and I said if I, if I had known the the what what Marlon was going through, I would have I wouldn't I wouldn't have criticized it at all because that is the right decision. Because now, you now you you're not stopping them, then you got to go out there with even less of a squad that you already had. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, let's talk pass rush a little bit. I think there's some interesting things here. Uh, Roethlisberger's ability to dump the ball off quickly, absolutely, from my point of view, neutered the Ravens' pass rush. They, they, couldn't, you know, they couldn't play games at all. They couldn't stun at all. Uh, they could line up people and they could rush them directly. They did no, zero stunts in the entire game. Now, I might have missed something. It's always possible. But I can tell you this. They didn't stunt much because I'm trying to count them. And so if I I missed one, maybe I missed one. It's it's possible. But they basically took their lanes. They tried to get their hands up a lot. And they had a little bit of success getting their hands on some passes. But basically, they they were not able to have anything tricky develop to get to uh, Roethlisberger. He was just too quick at unloading the football. And that's a shout out to his receivers.
4: Because mm-hmm. uh, at some point we knew they were running short to intermediate. I mean, short routes to get open quick, and we just couldn't defend them. They had good good releases. They used motion. Um, we, for some reason, was seven eight yards off on some plays. Right, and they just caught it and found the biggest cushion and got it to his guys.
1: Yeah, and 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 don't forget those rubs because they were they mm-hmm. were freaking useful too. Yeah. So I, I define I I just uh, divide all pass plays into one of three categories is either ample time and space, which means a three second pocket either did evolve or would have evolved by the way the locking was going. They had 11 of those plays for 54 yards. That's not taking advantage of ample time and space at all. Less than five yards a throw under that. You should get 10 yards a throw. I always say is, is, is about the expectation of picking a defense apart with ample time and space. Mm-hmm. The Ravens on the other hand of the coin had nine pressure events and the Steelers got 36 yards on those. That's that's neither good nor bad. I would call that a pretty typical amount of yardage, a little bit under four, maybe about four is normal, uh, but that's pretty normal. Where it really sucked for the Ravens is with ball out quick. 12 of those plays for 149 yards. That's 12-point mm. yard, four yards per throw. And it just shows you the Ravens were putting – the reason they were so good is the Ravens were, were creating a lot of these ball out quick situations because they were over pressuring in terms of numbers, and that was creating opportunities to throw to open fields where Roethlisberger was very successful getting the ball to somebody, him making a play after the after the uh, after the ball was out. And one thing I will say about this is when we when we because we have a package where we just kind of throw
4: everybody at the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. there was not enough of. Them jumping out. There were I know there were some instances yeah. where we had everybody at the line and then they bailed, but there wasn't enough of of enough creativity with different guys doing it because yeah. it, it looked similar to like when they would walk up there, the same guys were dropping the same spot. And, and Ben's not stupid. They, you know he's a professional too, so if he knows where the guy's gonna drop, he kind of d- got a general idea of where he's gonna go with the ball pre snap. And if you just catch it and he don't have to pump fake, the corner's gonna be in trouble, especially if they're not pressing.
1: That's an outstanding point, and that is the one part of the pass rush that actually was pretty good. Was the simulated pressure looks? They mm-hmm. did it seven times where they dropped two, three, or four from the line of scrimmage to cover, and those plays only averaged four point nine yards per play. Mm-hmm. So you can you can certainly live with that for your opposing passing game. But that's a great point, coaches. Is, is that was the thing I want to see more of. And a lot of people think Miami a few weeks ago, remember when, when they were stacking the line of scrimmage, that it was just those, those looks were one more than the Ravens can block. That's a tremendous oversimplification. What really destroyed Jackson that game was not being able to read the simulated pressure. Yeah. And they had their nose tackle drop to cover 18 times in that game. 18 times <laughs> for a nose tackle. I mean, that's the amount of times that you drop a defensive lineman. Wick White Martin Bale would drop a defensive lineman an entire season and adam butler did it 18 times in one game but they had a bunch of twos they had 24 times they dropped two men out of that everybody's at the line of scrimmage look and they were incredibly successful with it and and if i think with no spice on it if there's if there if it's just you show eight and they you got one more than they can block every single play i think lamar finds a way to beat it i think it was that simulated pressure that really messed it up for for lamar those games yeah i agree all right. Uh, I think we covered pretty much everything. They only blitzed off ball six times in the whole game on four plays, uh, and those went for forty five yards. So they really didn't didn't do anything useful there. I, it was it was just it was completely futile to use numbers against him. And the Ravens actually figured that out in the game, which was kind of surprising to me. But after the two big plays, the 40 and the 29, they had seven coming and six coming. Mm-hmm. And then Wink said, okay, we're not doing that anymore. And they for the next seven times, next eight times, they threw the ball. It was all four or five. And only once five. Most of them were four. And then on the touchdown pass, you're, you know, you're backed right up against the goal line. You're kind of forced to bring more anyway because there's not too much space to defend. They did bring seven on that play, and and uh, and that went for a touchdown. All right, and that's that's the play I lost it on. <laughs> mm-hmm. I believe that. <laughs> uh, individual players, you're the guest. Who would you like to talk about? I really want to start with Aver.
4: Uh, Even though he was picked on that 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 one drive, well, those two drives when they were in the combat, for the most part, I think Avery's still one of the most targeted guys in the league, and he's pretty much holding his own. Don't have, he? Don't have interceptions. But guys aren't just destroying him like they were early in the year. And one play stands out to me in particular. I think Johnson tried to run a fade on him, and his technique was so flawless. He ran that kid straight to the sideline and then used the sideline as an extra defender. And he ended up yeah. with a pass breakup on it. Earlier in the year, I don't think he his technique was that good. So the, the improvement of, of is, is 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 outstanding in my book. But I still don't know if he can hold up as the number one guy.
1: I, I I like him. I I think he's. I, I like I said. I think he's really going to get paid. I think he's one of the better cornerbacks. Uh, you know, to to emerge this season in the NFL and and play pretty well. And when you look at it, he's had two bad games. He, mm-hmm. in the Indianapolis game was bad, and this game was bad. But otherwise, he's played quite well. And uh, you know, he's not a guy that I would you know throw in the dumpster. And there's a, there's a lot of people who are, uh, you know, will get on Patrick Queen for a couple of bad games. Averett has never had anything like the kind of bad games in terms of just mind numbing loss of responsibility that yeah. that Queen has had. I mean he's he, he's been like Humphrey and like frankly the entire Ravens secondary this year. He's had games where he's missed tackles, he's mm-hmm. had games where he's where he's uh gotten beat at the top of the route a few times, but it really hasn't been a case of not understanding how to play the position right. in his case. So it's this is a guy who's uh, I think has a real future in this league, and and I, I expect him to get paid this off season. Especially if he, you know, does good over this stretch right here. As, if he does good over as
4: the number one guy, we can kind of hang it up, seeing him in a Ravens uniform next year.
1: Yeah, no, it's you know they might have to hang it up anyway because they got so many people to pay. But, right. But but if they if they if he does go, we certainly want him earning fifteen million instead of earning say six million. Right. But yeah, <laughs> it's a lot worse. And, and honestly, if, if I think he could get, could get close to 10 million still, if uh, if things worked out, it's not gonna, he's not going to he's not going to break the bank for 15. Let me bring up another player, Brandon Williams. And, you know, he, we, he's he been taking a lot of crap this year, frankly, and, and some of it deserved. He, he has not been the kind of stout run defender he'd been. He had, in my opinion, one of the best games of his entire career. Uh, he had 11. Tackles, which was three more than he has ever had in an NFL game. In fact, if you look at last season, he had 30, I don't know, 33, 34 tackles, something like that previous season, 33, 34 tackles. I mean, this is a third of a season total he got in one game. (laughs) Um, And I thought he did a lot of things well. I thought he held the point of attack well. I thought when we look back to the Browns game in particular, he's he's one of the guys that's getting penetration, even against their mammoth offensive line in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then we saw in the one pass, where he he had an opportunity to go after the quarterback he said oh, no no something's wrong and he, he immediately stuck on Gentry's you know hip and dragged him down to the 5 yard line near the end of the game when they had a chance so uh, I, I just think he's played he's played well recently, and and him back is one of the things that gives me hope the Ravens can still mount a defensive effort down the stretch.
4: Yeah,
1: I agree one hundred percent. He's he's definitely had
4: his fair share of criticism, but he's showed up uh, this week definitely, and you started to see that last week too also. But um, I didn't realize he had eleven tackles. Yeah. I
1: definitely got to go back and, and check that out. I mean, I, I, think, I think Tony Siragusa in 2000 might have had 23 tackles the whole year. Mm. Just, to, just to give you an idea. I mean, don't, those tackles, I mean, we're spoiled because of Kelly Gregg, and he had a lot. Mm-hmm. He's a very productive tackler, wrestler, and he, and he would get free, and he'd make, he'd make tackles. I mean, Williams' great pursuit in this game. I mean, really was, was special, I thought. Your turn for the next player. Um, I
4: really want to talk about Queen real quick. Uh, early in the year, Queen was one of those guys that everybody blasted. But this, I want to say, the switch to to off ball linebacker and being able to play with Bynes in there, with mm-hmm. uh, Welch in there, with uh, Board in there, and still, you know, kind of do work on his improvement. His you don't you didn't I didn't really call his name for like you know the negative stuff this game. Mm-hmm. And you know when he when there were tackles to be made for the most part he made them, and um, I don't remember recall but one missed tackle. And I'm in right. the way I'm thinking, that may be from last week, the missed tackle I'm thinking about. That may be from last week versus Cleveland. It was an open field. But for the most part, he's being what an off-ball linebacker should be, with that extra speed, he's doing a little more. So I'm 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 he's one of my guys that and there's a lot about people on defense that you can go for for three and a half quarters. But th- those two guys are ones that kind of stood out to me. And I really hate that I overlooked Williams uh, effort. I really got to go back and look at it
1: yeah maybe maybe do a little film breakdown for us I'd love to see that if you want to if you want to uh oh, he's you know, definitely the
4: play. first person I'm gonna do
1: okay all right uh uh i thought I thought queen was also uh, quite good in this game he's still not everywhere he needs to be coverage wise we mentioned the one play on the touchdown i I just thought he's got he's got to do something and he and he really has to Play his own read there. If he makes the wrong read, by the way, and Roethlisberger somehow gets out of the pocket and runs for a touchdown, you just got to tip your hats to them because there's you know somebody else can make that tackle maybe, mm-hmm. uh, or you know if if he rushes Roethlisberger and and Roethlisberger still gets the pass off over his outstretched hand, I'm okay with that too. Mm-hmm. I just want him to try and try and do something in that situation. Right. Just don't be stuck in the cement. Yeah. Here you go. All right. Let's talk about uh, Clark. Uh, Clark, I, I thought Clark had a pretty good game, and mm-hmm. and he's been up and down this year, but I, in, probably not quite as good as he was last year. I, I am a little bothered by the number of breakdowns, relatively that we've had this year relative to last, uh, and and it's, it's 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 not all underneath guys, and that was a lot of the problem early in the year was the inside linebackers really letting down the coverage, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's obvious they really are missing, uh, you know, having having um, uh, Peters out there on the back end of cover three, that, that, that'll cover for a lot of sins mm-hmm. in terms of having the right guy in the right place. Usually, even though, you know, Peters would gamble, but usually it was a good gamble. And you know, if he gets beat, he gets beat, but most of the time it's uh, it's, it's going to be a good gamble. Uh, I, I, I just think that, that I, if he's going to be the captain of the defense, he has to, he has to cover up for some of that. What I did love about Clark. And, and I, I don't think I've ever seen before is he made two great plays in this game where the whistle was blown. So the ball was not in play yet, and he made two great plays. One was the intentional offsides, which admittedly is not his decision to do that. But he, but he made a good play in the sense that he kind of sold it as accidentally at the time. Mm-hmm. So I'll give him credit for that. He jumped back onside. Wait wait a minute! I didn't mean to be here, kind of thing. <laughs> and, then, and then they accepted it, and you know, there's trouble. But the other one was he picked up a loose football and drew a face mask penalty after True. the ball after his mm-hmm. ball was whistled dead. I want to add a third to it. No. Early in the game, when
4: um I think it was Avery, he did let – it was cover two. And mm-hmm. he let the, the the receiver go behind him, which is a sin. And they tried to hit – Ben tried to hit the window shot. And Chuck waylaid the, the receiver. Oh, yeah. Just that set a tone right there. Like, you know what kind of
1: game this is about to be. Yeah, that's right. That's kind of like another dead ball thing, and I think the starator was, was lobbying for a dead ball foul or a foul on the play. Anyway, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a great play. He did he did have a ball knocked down at the line of scrimmage, uh, which was a really nice play. But should have caught that. It, it would have been great if he that. had. You know, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if he should have caught that, but we'll just say is the Ravens are not converting enough of their turnover opportunities. So Agreed. when the ball up in the air, you got to occasionally be able to make a play on it.
4: And if you think about the last couple of weeks, even when the ball's on the ground, we're
1: not really yeah. getting to it. Yeah. No, you're you're right. And they've, they've had too many missed opportunities. They they did a pretty good job. What a has been looking pretty good at at uh, either knocking the football loose or, or, or falling on it. But mm-hmm. uh, they do not have the kind of nose for the football on this defense they've had in the past. That's for sure. I, I You know, in a lot of ways, that's why even if they think Stevens might work out, I think they probably have to think about drafting a a free safety. Uh, Maybe not this year, but maybe next year. uh, that will be the guy. After we
4: draft 7 old linemen this year.
1: Yeah, there you go. All right. You got another player you want to talk about? I know. That was all I had. All right. Maybe – how about – I'll say the one thing about Harrison because I thought it was a little odd. The Ravens, for the first time in my memory, activated only three outside linebackers in the game. And, you know, they've had this – they came out of camp with a six to make five situation. So They had six on the roster. They they, they were going to have five on game day. They, out of five, you can have four that play in the in the race car package where you get four of them on the field at the same time. So, I, you know, I I like that, but uh, but now they've only got three guys and they play all three of them in 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 uh, the most significant downs, and then they often have to alternate otherwise. So, you know, they end up playing each about maybe seventy five percent of the snaps if you're if you're going to see some snaps with three outside linebackers. But here's the player who was impacted by this. Malik Harrison has played a few snaps at outside linebacker in some oddball packages early in the year. And when I say that, four, six, it's been a small number. I've been noting it in the packages when he's in there. He's usually the third inside linebacker on the field playing an outside linebacker spot at the edge of the line of scrimmage. I thought it would be possible that he would be at outside linebacker in this game, given the Ravens' shortcoming there. Yeah, I, definitely, I
4: definitely thought that, and, and not to see him in there was was kind of crazy. I, and honestly, I, I really only remember him on special teams. Mm-hmm. No, he didn't play defense. Oh, okay, that's what I, was, I, yeah. I only remember him on special teams. So um, maybe he's not all the way healthy,
1: but if he's not all the way healthy, why was he active? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, the Ravens, I don't know that they have 48 bodies right now. You, you so They inactivated bad. Ferg, if I'm not mistaken, right? They did, they inactivated him. I think he might have been sick. Okay. So – uh, so second time he's lost time to illness this year, but, uh, but yeah, I think he, uh, that would have been, that would have made us made a lot of sense. Um, there's something else that that was triggering, but Oh yeah. When they did have other inside linebacker snaps, they brought Welch in for four snaps to play inside linebacker. And he got a couple series previously and looked pretty good. Uh, I thought he looked pretty good again. And this, this guy, I charted him for a pressure. It's, it was pretty close, but he got into the backfield. He, he, uh, bowled Najee Harris kind of with a, a kind of a pinball bowl. Mm-hmm. uh a couple of times when he got back in the in the area of the quarterback anyway and i thought that was a uh that was a good play and and it's uh it's nice to see him on making some tackles and doing some things because hey you want to see what you got at inside linebacker and
4: definitely definitely especially if, if, if somebody goes down and i think he did a, a good enough job to be in the rotation if something happens and, and for for the team and the coaches to have confidence in him
1: yeah yeah, I mean, they're, they're taking Bynes off the field to put him in there. So it, they obviously, they're trying to see what they got. So uh, maybe, you know, maybe they're just thinking that Bynes doesn't give them all that much. But mm-hmm. b- what Bynes does give them, they don't get from any other inside linebacker, is that awareness of what's happening between level two and three. And he, he can read a quarterback, he can get in a passing lane, he can get his hand on a football. And it, it, it's so starkly different from the other inside linebackers. I, I'm happy to see it.
4: Now, uh, as far as Bynes, you mentioned him. How much you know? And you, I hope you don't have to go into your your numbers, but how much did he play in the first half? I don't remember really seeing Bynes a lot until you know what we had time. We had the ball so much it, it don't even matter. Yeah, that's we it. had
1: the ball so much in the first half. We didn't. They didn't have a lot of offensive snaps. Yeah, Bynes missed two straight series, so he didn't play in the second quarter. Mm-hmm. So uh, during the okay, the first the first series he missed. And that was Welch in for three of those plays. They played one snap of jumbo nickel in there as well. So mm-hmm. basically that's that's that situation. The second series was the last series of the half, and they pulled him because they were basically in a kind of a prevent defense. So they were playing they started off playing dime, then they moved to a to a rush nickel for the last five snaps. So basically you're right, it was a matter of not having enough snaps. And the second half, he was in for almost the whole thing. He came out mm-hmm. for looks like four snaps in the crossover drive to Q four as well. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, how about we go over the mailbag here and, and uh, pick out some questions? You got okay. the Twitter up and we can we can bring up pounds, uh, hashtag film, film Study Mailbag? I can. Give me one sick. All right, I'll I'll start with one. Um uh and Let's see. OK, here's a good one from Alan Frankel three. He says, which direction should we go after the Humphrey injury? Blitz heavy schemes or more conservative? Uh, I think you kind of touched on early in the show, uh, coaches, that there, there aren't necessarily a lot of options. They 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 probably have to be more conservative to give some of the, the newer cornerbacks help. Uh, you know, either way they go, they're going to be they're going to have to take chances defensively. To win the game. So it doesn't mean you stop blitzing, but it might mean you your blitz rate comes down and uh, and you stop with some of the things that are supported by good coverage, like slow developing um, um, pass rush deception, like uh, uh, delayed blitzes and and stunts as well, which take longer to get home.
4: I agree. You, you pretty much nailed it right there. There's no other. <laughs> it's. It's just crazy how they found that and just, and just stuck with it. It's it's, it's 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 this this game right here is so baffling because we played so well for three and a half quarters, Maybe, right? And it's to to still lose that game and not be up comfortably when, until when they when they adjusted and found out what happened, it's, it's it still touches a nerve on um, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you got got a question out there you like? Yes, sir, I do. It says, uh, this is from Mr. Ed. It says, on the TV broadcast, Romo suggested that the back shoulder throws were Pittsburgh's best option in the pass game. Do you agree? I don't think it was, I think it was part of their package because there were plenty of times where RDBs were in phase and that back shoulder throw was perfect. So it was one of his weapons in his toolbox, but I don't think it was their their best option those back shoulder throws helped them to pull our corners off which allowed them to have the quick slants and other things like that so we couldn't really press them and then we played off that let them have what they really wanted
1: right and I, I I would agree with the back shoulder not a bad option, and it's and you want to be able to show it. but I thought what really won them the game was was the number of pick and rub routes that they had right off the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. that, that they were so effective running those even even the one that developed deep on on an Everett and Humphrey. Either miscommunication or a or a collision or a, or, a, or a obstruction of some sort, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, was one where they they were able to take advantage of the fact that the, the Ravens defensive backs weren't playing that defense as a as a uh, you know a, a mini zone to itself as you were kind of talking about early, like like we're, we're gonna banjo and and stay on our own sides. All right, I've got got one here from Ravens Cap and Doge, or at Ravens Doge. He says, uh, Would be interested to see the Ravens play Brandon Stevens at cornerback with all the Humphreys injuries and work uh, Geno Stone as a starting safety opposite Clark. Any thoughts? Well, I think that's definitely a possibility. I think, first of all, I think Geno Stone has looked terrific on the back end when he's been in the dime package. So I'd love to see what he has uh, playing cover two when you really need to help your underneath receivers. Stone's a great choice to do that he's he's a very um uh read sensitive and he's also a uh turnover seeking safety uh so he'll play for the overthrow and that's what you want you want i I, frankly i don't want elliot on the back end of our current weak corners i think he actually is is a misfit i think that 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 stone is a much better one because you'll create uh, uh tighter windows uh and not not you know gamble away the window um, and, and that'll create an opportunity sometimes to have an overthrow that, that that can be intercepted. But Stone, we saw him in the preseason have two interceptions in one game. I think he's a great chance to play that. I think Brandon Stevens at slot corner. Sure. Let's see what he's got. A I mean, I want Tavon to be there as the first choice, but if Tavon isn't, sure.
4: Yeah, I agree. I think, I think uh, Stone is the best center fielder we got. Oh, yeah. Easily. I think um, uh, Joker and Chuck are similar, like almost the same guy, maybe, as far as what they can do. I think they're more... I hate to label them box guys, but I think that's what they are. But mm-hmm. Gino is the is the best guy that we got that can roam. And I don't yeah. think he, I don't think his um, I don't think he can go numbers to numbers, but he has the most range. I think we got to end on our team that we stick at safety. So I, I agree with that. With Gino being maybe starting safety uh, in certain packages and then dropping Stevens down to be in that slot corner if if somebody is hurt,
1: right. Now they're going to want all three of them on the field in the dime package anyway. That's the highest leverage downs. So, you know, this where your third and five, six, seven, eight. You know, they're they, they want all three of those guys on the field, and, and it does mean Stone's always on the back end. Well, not always, but he's usually on the back end when that happens.
4: You got another one there? I do. I think it was more of a statement. I am going to read it. So, it's yeah. from Philip uh, Beck. He says, "I am interested if you have if if you have a numbers breakdown for the decision to go for two. Uh, next-gen stats indicated that going for the tie resulted in the better win probability but that was intuitively and mathematically feels wrong and i guess he wants our opinion on it uh earlier i talked about it um with the with the the news of the injury and with the way of Pittsburgh was playing offense because we really didn't stop him later on at the toward the end of the game i think it was a great decision to go for the ball I mean, to go for the win. Um, right. What next-gen stats and all that stuff, all that analytical stuff is fine. But I think as a coach, you for the most part, in those situations, you go good. And he went good based off, you know, the, the elements of the game. And I think right. it was a great call. Been, and I, like I, said, I was mad at it first, but I didn't have the whole story of, of why he was going for it. But now that I have the whole story, I think he made the right decision.
1: I think you're right on the money there, Coach. And 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 the thing about that is that I don't think the models can be complex enough to account for the factors that we talked about things like the defense being tired things like the uh uh you, you know the number of snaps that had been played in that fourth quarter for example or certainly for the injuries because they're gonna the models are gonna look at baltimore's defense and they're gonna say hey, baltimore's defense is good they stop people on third down they do that well not that baltimore defense not the one we were saying last night in the fourth quarter you know that was a different defense and i think that's where a lot of this kind of breaks down that's hard to come up with a model to simulate what's going on versus a certain opponent and i just i i don't think that model is going to be sophisticated enough to capture it. So I think I I'm perfectly happy with the decision. I'm I'm great with the play call and, and, uh, damn it. It didn't work out. That's, that's where I am. So, all right, let me find one more here. Um, okay. I, I think we've gone into this. I'd love to hear your guys go into detail about Chuck Clark's intentional offside penalty. I thought it was a genius move. Correct. Completely agree. Brett. Uh, that's at Raven's dad, 1985. Uh, Have you ever seen this move used before? Well, actually, they did it twice previously. I'll tell you the two times previously, the Ravens did it in 2019. They were at Buffalo. The Bills are on select the 40 yard line and they ran a play against the dime defense. But they ran a run play with Singleton that took the ball down to the two yard line. Then they rushed up against that dime package and they tried to run a play really quickly to get the Ravens light defenders and and bowl that ball into the end zone with their offensive line. Instead of letting them do that, Chuck Clark stood in the offensive backfield right next to Josh Allen and was called for neutral zone infraction uh, it was obviously called in from the sideline. The, the ball moved from the two to the one-yard line. The Ravens were able to get, get different personnel on the field. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. They still scored, but uh, but they did it then. And then they did it again against New England in 2020 uh, to get an extra possession with a minute and five left that they wouldn't have otherwise got. Very similar situation. They allowed New England to convert a second and two. So this is the the third time in three seasons Harbaugh's used the plan. I don't, right. see any, uh, I don't see any – I don't see any more. I think that's it. Okay. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that. Uh, Coach, I love talking football with you. Any amount of time I can have, even after a bad loss like this, just makes me feel better. Appreciate you uh, spending a little bit of time on your Monday night with us. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, tell folks where they can talk football with you and about your, your own YouTube channel and other projects you have going on.
4: Um, YouTube, it's Sid the Tatter Films. Um, on Twitter, it's Coach Evans nine and i just should. everybody got something in the works i just everybody to say a prayer for me
1: and hope it work out for me you got something in the works yeah i do i guess i'm in okay. the works <laughs> i'll right. tell you I, when, we, when we when we go off uh, sure okay all right now, by all means <laughs> uh and it's sip to tally it's s-i-p the number two tally t-a-l-l-y and it's like mississippi to tallahassee that's what that's correct what that means okay that's correct uh, we just want to get people to do that. It's not obvious how you would spell that when I heard, when I heard you do that before. But uh, great stuff from Coach and really worthwhile taking a look at his videos out there. Uh, other folks out there, if you want to do a 25 years episode with me, we're looking back at Raven's history. We're down to the last couple of episodes that we can have time to record and, and post before the end of this season. Uh, hit me up on Twitter with a direct message. They're open. Uh, just your idea. Narrow focus. We want to be able to go deep on it in about 20 or 25 minutes. Love to hear from you. Coach, thanks again for coming on. Always a pleasure to talk football with you, my friend. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.